Well, good morning. good morning. It's a pleasure to be back here with you. I was here uh, about a year ago, I believe. Uh, it was my first introduction to your church, and uh, I was grateful for that opportunity. I'm grateful once again for this opportunity. Um, so as been, uh, I think, mentioned, um, I serve with an organization called Ministry to State. It is a ministry to, um, and I know some of you were here when I was here a year ago, so uh, so this is a reminder for, for many of you and maybe new to some of you. Um, so ministry to state, think of it this way. It's, it's, um, well, it's, it's, it's a ministry to those who serve in government. So think of it as the government is the mission field, and the people who serve in government are the people group, if you think of it in missionary, missionary terms. Um, and, um, you know, as, so just a little bit of history the organization or the ministry arose out of the Oklahoma City bombing, which I'm sure if you were sentient at that time, you obviously remember that horrific crime that resulted, I think, in about 168 children dying. Uh, the bombing in Oklahoma City it was a terrorist act. So out of that, a minister, a pastor, began a Bible study and prayer group in the state capitol um, in a small conference room, and the Lord blessed it. It just grew tremendously. <laughs> And the attorney general started attending. The governor started attending. Um, and so from that, after a number of years, he felt a burden for people in government and moved his family to Washington, D.C. to begin what became Ministry to State. Um, so we began in Washington, D.C., which is obviously the federal government is a, is a humongous entity. <laughs> so we have a team there. And then about, about a decade ago, we began branching out to states. Um, we began, interestingly, in Montana, which has been in the news lately, if, you're, if you followed these things. Uh, and, then we, and now we are in um, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, Colorado, and then uh, now New Jersey. We kind of have somebody in Maryland. We're working. We, we would like to be in all 50 states and all Canadian provinces and, state, and, and, and global capitals all over the world. That's our goal. That's our mission. But that's the calling of God. Uh, so I've been at this in New Jersey for um, uh, about a year and uh, year and a half or so, I would say, and it has been, I think, fruitful in, to the extent that I've made meaningful connections with many of our legislators. I have about, I have the cell numbers of about a quarter of them, and I communicate with them regularly. I send uh, prayer and scripture passages about once a week to everyone. Um, and in the last couple of times the legislature has convened, uh, before, ahead of their convening, I had a devotional time uh, with prayer. So this past Thursday, uh, when our assembly met, I, I met with initially five and then three Members, so eight members all, all in the whole, just going, you know, directly from the scriptures, direct gospel, um, Christ, <laughs> forgiveness of sins, uh, uh, his death on the cross, resurrection from the dead, the necessity of salvation in his name, and and um, and and honestly, even part of like my being there, and I also also this was significant. In January, I, was, um, I received, on some level, an unexpected invitation to do the closing prayer for the governor's state of the state address. 
So, um, so that's the biggest gathering of government in any state annually. Is sort of sort of like the the government, the state version of the State of the Union. Uh, and so everyone is there. And so I had a chance to give the closing prayer, which I was obviously grateful for, and I did. Um, and I prayed a fully Christian prayer, uh, no watering down, uh, no you know accommodating to an audience. Um, and out of that really came a lot of opportunity, being in that kind of that um, public setting on that occasion really did open up a lot of doors, and it continues to bear fruit. And the more, the more people I meet with or talk to, then the more, um, then that sort of makes it more likely for others because they see it sort of like a normal thing, like, oh, I'm, like almost like I'm supposed to meet with this guy. <laughs> um, and so it's just, um, and so there's, I'm grateful for the work. I'm grateful for the opportunity. And ultimately this is, and I do have, and I, because um, I know you're interested in this. Um, I do have meaningful conversations with people about issues of concern uh, to, to you, to families, to children. Um, those are not easy conversations. I can't say that I've made breakthroughs, but the conversations are ongoing. And, and we want to bathe them in prayer, ultimately, None of us, I cannot change anybody's mind on my own. And we're talking, we're not even simply talking about individuals, we're talking about structures, political structures, government structures, um, 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 and people's place in the order of things. You know, you're supposed to just sort of do the thing that you're supposed to do, and if you don't do the thing you're supposed to do, there could be consequences. Um, and so that's what we're talking about. Um, and so anyway, so I welcome your prayer. I welcome your support and encouragement. I was very um, encouraged by your response last time um, to the ministry. Um, so there is a couple of things on the table. On one of the tables out in the foyer, there's a sign-up sheet for those of you. I know a number of you signed up to get the newsletter. But if you didn't sign up last time and are interested, it's about bi-monthly slash quarterly. Um, that's all the communication that you'll get. Um, there's also a prayer card there that you can take just to kind of remind you to pray for this work of, which we believe is the work of the Lord. It is work to, to call men and women um, within our government to turn and bow the knee to the one who reigns. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this time that you would give us, oh Lord. I thank you for the, the summons to gather in worship of the living God Sunday by Sunday, Lord, weekly, the gathering of the saints and light um, to lift your name and to to praise you, Lord. You have heard our, our praises, Lord. We have sung our, We have sung to you. We have um, brought ourselves to you, Lord, and now I pray that we would quietly, in a quiet, that we would open our hearts to receive the word of truth, the word of life, the word who became flesh, Lord. Where Holy Spirit be at work now, Lord. We pray, Lord, and I pray that your word would go out and accomplish its purposes, and find hearts that are soft, receptive, open, 
and willing so that we together, Lord, would see and follow the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And it is in his name we pray, the name of our Lord Jesus and in the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when you hear the word authority, what comes to mind? How do you respond? Are you suspicious? Are you concerned? Are you skeptical? Uh, you know, wait a second, I've got to be free to be me, man. I don't want anyone telling me what to do, except if they sign my paycheck, maybe. So within our society, we've been conditioned to think in this way. And even as professing um, Christians, this is really part of the air. This mindset is part of the air that we breathe. It, it sort of permeates just about everything. Right? And, and so as a result, um, on a societal level, and maybe even we ourselves, have a hard time differentiating authority from authoritarianism. We have a hard time differentiating authority from the abuse of authority. Right? Now, the irony, of course, is that those who condition us to reject authority simply wish to substitute their, their own authority for that which they want us to reject, whether that's parental authority or church authority or the authority of God himself. They tell us to be free, but then define freedom as what they believe or how they wish society to be, or what what they conceive gives life meaning and makes life worth living. So we will live under authority. That is unavoidable. We'll be subject to forces and ideas that do not originate with us. The question is, who or what that authority will be? So that brings us to our scripture reading which Joe read already, um, from Matthew's Gospel. So just to step back a little bit, looking at Matthew's Gospel on the whole, briefly. Uh, Matthew's Gospel presents Jesus Christ to us. Jesus is the king who's come into the world on a rescue mission to redeem his people from their sins. That's the announcement made in chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel. To be king is to have authority. Authority is at the essence of kingship. It makes kingship what it is. So as as king, Jesus comes with authority, authority to speak and authority to act. So after presenting to us Jesus as king, who's come with authority, we read Jesus' teaching over the course of a number of chapters in Matthew's gospel. In particular, the teaching contained in, in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. So here's how the Sermon on the Mount concludes in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 to 29. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Question. Was it the manner of Jesus' speech at which the crowds marveled? You know, he spoke with a booming voice. He was large and in charge. No, no, that wasn't it. He might have, I don't know. But that's not the point. It was the content. Ordinarily, a teacher or even a prophet did not speak on his own authority. He simply passed on what he received, whether it was from another teacher or even from God himself. This is what God says. Or put it another way, whatever authority he had came from somebody else. But in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say repeatedly? 
You have heard it said, but I say to you, I say to you, hey, buddy, who are you? That's how they talk back then. Um, anyway, I'm the one with authority. What I say is what is. I define reality. There is no one above me or behind me validating my words. They simply stand by virtue of my saying them because I'm the one with authority. So following the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus acting with authority. We see him exercising authority over illness and disease. He heals a number of people. And then in our reading today, we see Jesus continue to exercise his authority. We observe Jesus exercising authority in one setting after another over different aspects of reality. We see him exercising authority, one, over, over nature itself, two, over the spiritual realm, and three, over people regarding their ultimate destiny. That's all. So we are presented with different settings where we see Jesus speaking and acting with authority. And in each of them, Jesus' authority is disturbing or unsettling in some way. It is disruptive of what people expect or what people want. And the question for them, and this morning for us by extension, is this. Are we willing to accept the disturbance Jesus brings with him and his authority Or would we rather keep our lives ordered the way they are without him and his authority? Are we willing to accept the disturbance, the disruption that Jesus brings with him and his authority? Or would we rather keep our lives settled the way they are without him and without his authority? So first, first setting, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27 The disciples are following Jesus. They're in the boat with Jesus when a huge storm comes up on the sea, causing them to fear for their lives, understandably. And unfortunately, at least, and strangely, at least certainly to them, and probably to us if we were there, Jesus is asleep. He's not doing anything. And the disciples are disturbed by this. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 4, the account of the same episode, the same event, they are quoted as saying, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care about us? Lord, we're in trouble. Is that not a feeling or cry that you might be familiar with? For you, it might be an ongoing matter in your life right now. You have a situation where you believe that the Lord Jesus is with you, and yet you're in trouble, and he is seemingly asleep. It seems as if he's not paying attention. He's not doing anything to save you from the storm. Lord, I need you. Do something. Do anything. Please make it go away. And it doesn't go away. Lord, don't you care? Lord, are you even there? Is any of this real? Here's what Jesus says to you. Why are you afraid, or you of little faith? He takes the opportunity of the storm not to soothe them, they're there, but to awaken them. You still don't know me. You still don't understand. You still don't trust me. You see the storm in its power, which is real. He's never, he, the Lord never calls you to deny reality. Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's okay. That, 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 no. 
You see the storm and its power. The storm is real. It's there. But what you don't see is me and my goodness and my power and my care in the midst of it. When you don't see Jesus as he really is, not as you imagine him to be or as you expect him to be, but as he is, all you see is the storm and you are afraid. Afraid of abandonment. Afraid of what's next. Afraid there's no way out. Afraid of death. Maybe you're not afraid anymore because you've given up. You've gone past fear to despair. I'll just wait for the waves to consume me. Before just Jesus does anything, before he intervenes to address your fears and your despair, Jesus focuses your attention on him. He says to you, look at me. The storm does not define reality. I define reality. Who I am is not subject to the storm. The storm is subject to who I am. And then he acts. It's important that you understand this before he does anything in the midst of the storm. Verses 26 to 27. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? When Jesus acts, are they more or less disturbed? In some respect, they are more troubled. Why? Who, who is this? What kind of man is this? They're no longer saying, hey, buddy, who are you? But who are you? This is someone with authority over nature, over creation. Psalm 89, verses 8 to 9. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107, verses 28 to 29. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who is this that the storm and the waves do what he tells them? The authority that belongs to God is the authority that belongs to Jesus. The power that belongs to God is the power that belongs to Jesus. This is God with us. He is Lord with us in the storm exercising authority over it at all times, both when it rages and when it stops. The presence of the storm isn't indicative of the absence of the Lord, but someone who can control the wind and rain isn't someone whose power you can harness or manage. You cannot control the authority of Jesus. You can only resist it and oppose it, where you can trust and rest in it. When you follow Jesus, he brings storms into your life where it seems he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing in order for you to trust him more and know him better. And he is with you all the way through. Where are you? I'm right here. May your fear move you to trust him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for one reason and one reason only. You are with me. I trust you. I must trust you. Because you're the Lord and I am not. And you are good and you are faithful always. So let's continue. 
So next we see Jesus exercising authority over the spiritual realm. He encounters, this is Matthew 8, 28 to 34. He encounters two demon-possessed men. Now, a lot of people in in our society might say, what's up with the demons, man? Then you might be like, I know all about the demons. I know all about the demons. So the fact that there are demons simply means that evil is personal, <laughs> that it has agency. There are spiritual beings who oppose God and want to hurt people who are made in God's image. That's what demons do. And there's an ultimate demonic power who is the devil. And in 1 John 3, we are told that Jesus' mission, he came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. So most people think of good and evil, light and dark, the demonic and the godly, as opposing forces of equal power and authority. These are two equal powers who are fighting it out for supremacy and who will win. But that's not what we see here at all. These are not two equal and opposing forces. The demons are subject to Jesus' authority. First, they recognize him in his power. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Secondly, they do what he says. He says, go, and they go. But the demons are looking to wreak as much havoc as they can before they face their destruction, which they know is coming. Have you come to torment us before the time? It's not time yet. We know we're going down, but we're not ready. And it's not, come on. (laughs) You're breaking the rules here. Be careful. Um, They're subject to his authority. So Jesus drives out the demons. So something we find not only here, but throughout the Gospels, is that the demons recognize who Jesus is and the threat he is to them before anyone else. Everyone else is like confused. What's going on? Who is this guy? Is it Elijah? What's happening here? Is it the prophet? There's, There's all this confusion. But the demons, like, we know who you are, right? But there's this friend, but, and, and at the same time, there's this frenzy of demonic activity all around him. Everywhere he goes, the spiritual forces are just going, they're going nuts. I submit to you, maybe that's part of the explanation of the frenzy we find in our world today. We live in a time of chaos and upheaval where the most basic truths in the world, in creation, are under assault. Chaos. Absolute chaos. There is a frenzy of spiritual activity that is actively harming people. But listen. I submit to you that is also an indicator of and response to the, advance, the advancement of God's kingdom and the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of the kingdom. Don't be put off by the frenzy. Do not be afraid. Be encouraged. Encouraged to seek the Lord. If you don't do that, then you have reason to be afraid. But if you keep your eye on the one who reigns, the one who has authority, then don't be afraid. 
Be encouraged to seek the Lord. To which kingdom will you belong? Friends, the only way to be free of the demons is to come under the authority of Jesus. His is the word that drives them out. Now, question. When Jesus drives out the demons, what happens? Does the town rejoice? Woohoo! No. No, it's the opposite. They are terribly disturbed. And all the city pleads for Jesus to leave their region. Jesus casts out the demons, and they respond by casting him out. They don't like the outcome. What are you casting out of your life? A question. Why do they cast him out? Well, because Jesus drives the demons into a large herd of pigs, and they're all gone. Why are they so upset? You know, is this some sort of first century animal rights movement? PETA before PETA? No. What are the pigs? The pigs, that's their wealth. That's their livelihood. So here we have Jesus, the king with authority, who is mighty to save, freeing two men who are under demonic control and are therefore themselves out of control, The captives have been set free. The kingdom of God is on the move, but it's too costly. It's too disruptive to the lives of those in the community. It costs too much. This is, friends, this is not a small thing. This is the local economy we're talking about here. And so so they're seeing the disruption of their life. Like, we cannot have this. And so they are so captive to what they have, to their way of life the way it is, that they can't see what's right in front of their eyes. They can't see Jesus and what he's doing. They only see what they are losing and not what they are gaining. They only see the loss, the disruption, but they don't see what the disruption and the loss is being replaced by, what's coming about in its place. You're messing everything up, man. Get out of here. So they prefer to keep their lives the way they are, even with the demons, to having their lives disrupted and disturbed by Jesus. Can you relate? Can you relate to the desire to keep a safe, ordered, comfortable life? Maybe you're happy to have Jesus around to keep your life in order. But what if his presence, his freedom, his sovereignty, his authority disrupts your life? How will you respond? Now, you might be thinking, maybe one of who I don't know you, all of you. I don't know your story. But in any gathering, somebody might be thinking, well, I have nothing to hold on to. I have no pigs to lose. I hear you. But, I, but you know what? Often the, the things that make us miserable are the things that keep us from Jesus. And we prefer to hold on to them too. Friends, don't sell your soul for anything, not for any price. He's the treasure. He's the valuable one, not the pigs. Maybe if we called them pigs, we'd, they'd sort of, we'd see them in that light. We, 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 don't, we just name the story. You're a pig. In light of Jesus, you're a pig. I don't, I don't need you. I need him more. I must have you. I must have him. He's the treasure. We must say what you must say. What we must say is, Lord Jesus, we beg you to stay and do whatever you need to do. Please don't go. And if that means some really weird stuff is going to happen and I'm going to lose a bunch of pigs 
then so be it. You be you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I bow. Because I know who you are. I know whatever. Nothing lost in you is not gain or is not replaced by something so much better. Because you're the one. So let's continue to follow him as he brings another disturbance. We're now in chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. So this time we see him exercising authority over people regarding their ultimate destiny. A group of friends, really good friends, they bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus so he can heal him. And Jesus responds to their act of love, their act of kindness, to bring their their friend to the one who can heal him of his paralysis. Jesus says, take heart, sons, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? That's not what we came for. What's going on? Now, who is attentive? Who does respond to Jesus here? Well, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are the ones who are disturbed. They're offended because Jesus has the audacity to declare the man's sins forgiven. Well, who does he think he is? Where does he get this authority? He's blaspheming. Why? Because no one but God has the authority to forgive someone's sins. It's not like he sinned against him personally. But you, like you're just declaring this man's sins forgiven. In other words, you are claiming for yourself what only God has the right to claim. How does Jesus respond? He says to them, you think these are just words coming out of my mouth? You're right. That's true. That's true. I guess anyone can mouth the words, your sins are forgiven. Okay. But can anyone other than God himself take a paralyzed person and with a word enable him to walk? Who has the authority to take what is dead and bring it to life? Jesus says to the paralyzed man, rise, and he does. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive your sins. Sin is the fundamental human problem. The biggest problem you have in your life is your sin against God. This is everyone's ultimate and real problem that must be addressed that we cannot address ourselves. Nothing that happens to you can destroy you. Only your sin can. It's the only thing with the power to ultimately destroy you is your sin. And that's an insight only the scripture gives us because it's not instinctive to any of us at all. All of us things, our problems are all around us. And the scripture says, no, your biggest problem's right in here. And Jesus saves from sin. He grants the forgiveness of sins to any and all who come to him. Do you believe that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive your sin? Well, you know the answer by whether or not you get up off your mat when he calls you. So I had a cousin named John Hanna. We were close in age. We were very close friends. So it was very confusing to everybody else. So John was a heroin addict. He fell into, uh, for, for a decade. He spent time on the streets, time in jail where I visited him as an attorney, as I was at the time. He tried everything to get clean. But the thing was, John didn't just want to get clean. He wouldn't settle for that. That 
that goal by itself didn't have the power, didn't have the glory, didn't have the authority to heal him or change him. He wanted life, he wanted the truth, even as he was running away from him with all that, all that he could. At the same time, he was desperate for what only God could give him. And one day he came to me and said, Jesus is real and I believe in him. And that changed everything. It was like, it was remarkable to watch one man come under the authority of the Lord. Like, really? Like, it was mesmerizing. We were stunned. Right? And he, I mean, his, what happened to him really affected all of us who were close to him. There was a movement of the Holy Spirit within our family as a result of his conversion. We started Bible studies. We just, this was it. We were like, we were just, this was what we were about. We would gather and talk about the things of the Lord. Um, and it was incredible. And so John didn't forget those who, whom he hung out with and those like them. So he went back to the streets. He went back for the homeless. He went back for the addicted. He went back for the poor. And then, five years later, he died from injuries sustained in a car accident. And for the last six months of his life, he was an assistant pastor at a church not too far from here in New Jersey. And the pastor he worked with loved to tell this story where he and John went to visit, see this guy, and this guy was strung out on drugs. He was just laying in bed, and he said, I don't want to get up, and I have no reason to get up, and I'm just going to lay here, and I'm, I'm just not going to get up. And John got right into the bed and laid next to him and said, I'm not getting up out of this bed until we get up together. Why did he do that? Because that's what Jesus did for him. When you don't want to get up and have no ability to get up and have no reason to get up, so far as you're concerned, he comes right down next to you and says, we are getting up together. He comes right down into the sin and suffering and death of your life and has it consume him and overwhelm him and crush him. And then he rises and raises you with him when you come to him as your authority. How will you respond? Well, how can you? What other way is there respond to respond? We must respond the way Matthew responds. Follow me. Really? I can follow you? I, I go, really? I get to be with you? I just get to be with you all the time? And go where you go and you'll be with me all the time? Really? I can do that? Yes, you, yes, you can. And you must. And you will. Follow me. You're mine. You belong to me. I came to claim you. And then, what do we do? Well, we do what Matthew does. You throw a party and invite all your friends to come. He'll take anybody. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just come. Just come as you are, the way you are now, and he will receive you. Come to him. Because I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It is not... The, the healthy that needed a doctor, but the sick. 
This is from John Piper's when, What Jesus Demands from the World. When the most glorious person in the word, world, in the universe, excuse me, pays all my debts and then demands that I come to live with him and enter into his joy, there can be mo no more desirable demand imaginable. When the most glorious person in the universe pays all my debts and then demands that I come to live with him and enter into his joy, there can be no more desirable demand imaginable. How does Matthew's gospel conclude? It concludes with these words from Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. He's the one. Will you come? Will you accept his authority no matter what? No matter what it brings. Make the trade. Accept the disturbance. Because that's the, that disturbance brings you the true and lasting peace that only Jesus Christ can give. It is the disturbance that is your only comfort and hope in life and death. We sang it already. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the love of Christ I stand. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and that authority is available to you to receive and make your own. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.